They taught me that a parable was a story told by Jesus. It was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's simple. Now that I'm older, I don't know that I totally uh, buy that uh, definition, and here's why. When I think of somebody, something being heavenly, I think it's glorious. I think it's wonderful. I think it's even peaceful. I think it's something we can look forward to. Not all the parables had a heavenly meaning. They had a divine meaning. No parable strikes me any more uh, like that than the one we find in Luke chapter 13. We're going to read Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, and hear a message entitled, Lessons from the Fig Tree. Verse 6, And he, being Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, sir, leave it this year also until I dig around and fertilize it and perhaps... It will bear fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer tonight that as we look at your word, I pray that your word will come alive for us. Thank you for allowing Jesus to come and give us these words that we needed to hear so desperately. May we not have a cold heart. May our heart not have been be callous because we've heard the story so many times. But may, even this night, may we hear from you in a fresh and new way. In your name, amen. A fig tree. From a theological perspective, all through Scripture, when a fig tree is mentioned, it's talking about the nation of Israel. Now, we could take a theological approach to this tonight, but I don't want us to do that. I want it to be much simpler. I'm not a theologian. I want us to talk about something very practical. And so I'm going to reconfigure this story a little bit. We're not going to talk about the nation of Israel being the fig tree. We're going to talk about the fig tree being me and you. Having looked over the, the passage and studied it and prayed over it, I think there are seven, seven parts of this story that we need to take note of. The first one is what I would call the possession, possession of the tree. It says in verse 6 that a, that a man, that would be the owner, that would be the Lord, had a, had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He had a tree and it was planted in his vineyard. This tells me that the tree was his. This tells me that he didn't have to ask anybody permission to do whatever he wanted to with that tree. He had a right to expect some stuff of that tree. 
Some of those things that he expected, we'll get to in a bit. But he owned the tree. The tree was his. Now, instead of making applications, stay with me just for a second. The possession of the tree is that it's his. He had the tree. In fact, if you look back at the Greek, it doesn't say it quite like this. A man had a tree that was planted in his vineyard. It literally says he planted a tree in his vineyard. He put it out there. It was his. The second thing I want you to see is not just the possession of the tree, but the presence of the tree. The presence of the tree. The tree was in the garden. The tree was not diseased. It was not malnourished. The tree, uh, um, the tree was not immature. The tree was out there, and obviously, as you read this story, he came not only this year to look, but if you look there, he'd been looking for three years. He'd been watching this tree, expecting this tree to, to produce some fruit. He's been expecting some things from this tree. Quite likely, this tree had leaves on it, had all the outward signs of being healthy, of, being, of, of doing it, fulfilling its business, and being everything that the master wanted it to be. There was nothing intrinsically bad that he could see about the tree. He didn't see something running down it that was a fungus. He didn't see anything that stopped it from uh, probably putting leaves on it. I was noticing uh, at my daddy-in-law's last week, both my daddy-in-law and my dad both have fig trees. And there are beautiful green leaves there today. And they know that that tree is healthy. So evidently this owner who was a, a owner of a garden, just like you guys who have gardens, you know when your plants are healthy, you know when they're dying. The presence of the tree is showed to be something that we could expect something from. And that brings us to the third point. Not just the possession of the tree, not just the presence of the tree, but number three, it brings us to the purpose of the tree. Now can anybody guess what the purpose of a fig tree is? Make figs. That's right. Bear fruit. Make, make figs. You know what the truth? Every time a preacher mentions purpose today, everybody gets on their little bandwagon, particularly those that really don't like Rick Warren, really don't like purpose-driven life, really don't like purpose-driven church, and they get on their bandwagon and start hollering about, here you go with Rick Warren. And I'm just going to say this again and again and again because repetition is the mother of learning. Rick Warren didn't invent the purpose-driven life. He didn't invent the purpose-driven church. He didn't invent the purpose-driven anything. He just put it in a book, sold a lot of books for which he doesn't take a whole lot of money from. And here's what I will tell you. The purpose-driven person, the purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church began right here. Every person who has been created and lives on this earth has a purpose. But I'm afraid that the big problem today among believers, now please listen, I'm afraid that the big problem today among believers is this. We have little or no clue about our divine purpose on earth. We just kind of get along and we go along and hoping that one day when we get on that we've done it right. Without apology, without reservation, here's what I want to say. Everyone in this room has a purpose. You have a divine purpose from God. When the owner came out, he came looking 
He came seeking. He sought out fruit from the tree. By the way, that word seeking, whatever your translation you use, sought, seeking, in the Greek, that is a very strong word. He came looking with expectation. In fact, Herod carries with it some thought of requirement and demand. It is the same word that Jesus used in Mark 8 when he was bantering with the Pharisees. And he said, how long will this generation demand a sign? It's the same word. You see, the truth is, the truth is, for the tree, some demands are made. Now, let's just take a time out. We've run through his possession, the presence, and the purpose without making any applications too much to us. Let's just take, let's just breathe a second and think about what's just been said. For those who have come to Christ, we are his possession. We have been bought with a price. We have been bought with his blood. We are now owned by him. We have given up our, our personal want-tos and, and likes and, and rights even at the cross when we gave ourselves to him. It's not a popular message, but it's true. If we're his, if we're his we're his possession. Second thing that I'll say to you is that as his possession, we have a presence in his kingdom. We, he gives us everything we need. He doesn't leave diseased believers in his kingdom. He doesn't leave anemic believers in his kingdom. He doesn't withhold the water. He doesn't withhold the, the spiritual food. He doesn't withhold his spirit. He doesn't withhold the power. He gives us everything we need to grow up in him and be fruit producers. We are present. And our purpose is that we, cre- that we develop, that we make, I don't care what term you use, that we make other disciples. Just as surely as the fig tree is expected to produce figs, the believers are expected to produce other believers. We're pr- expected to produce disciples. Now, folks, truth is, we can debate this and we can doubt this. There are people who will say, you know what our church is all about? It's about taking care of each other. Well, we, that may be what the crowd is all about, but that's not God's church. Oh, yes, we should take care of each other, but that's not the primary focus of the church. Read the book. And that brings us to the fourth. Now, you've got the first three, the possession, the presence, and the purpose. The fourth one is the problem with that tree. The problem with that tree. He came looking for three years, expecting to find fruit, and he found none. Don't don't miss it. He expected to get something to eat there. He expected to get something nourishing there. He expected to get something off that tree that justified its existence. Now, did you hear that? He expected to get some fruit off that tree that justified its existence, the soil that it took up. May I just make an observation? Could this be 
one of the great missing links in the American church today? Could it be that we have come to the place where we don't think that our God expects us to produce anything anymore? And that's why congregations die. And that's why believers get so passive about their faith. The body gets diseased. And it can't function in a healthy manner. It's not producing fruit. Some, some symptoms. Baptisms are down. I do not go to one preacher's meeting where they're talking about the state of the church that the thing that leads the list is that baptisms are down. Discipleship is almost non-existent. Man, I'll come walk down the aisle, but if you expect any more than that, I'm not going to do it. I'll, just, I'll clue you in. Our men know this, our men who are on the active deacon body. We've had some instances in the past three years, four years, that we got into situations as a church. And everybody don't know this. It's not public knowledge unless we, when we do it by the Bible, if it has to become public, we'll make it public. But there are some things that we've had to deal with for the very reason that our culture today don't see us as any different than anybody else. And so everybody's supposed to be able to come And what I would say to you in the context of the New Testament, some of those churches, you had to be members. You had to attend and prove your worth for four to five years before they would admit you as members. You see, folks, the problem with the church today is that baptisms are down. Discipleship is in short supply. I'll do it for a little bit, but then I'll do what I want to. The gifts of the Spirit lay dormant. So then the fruits of the Spirit don't blossom. One of the things that we need to really understand is that our Lord Jesus reserved his harshest words for non-producing people, non-producing trees, non-producing entities. For that believer that's non-producing, he had some really stern words. Just as the Master expects us as his possession to do something as a church, He expects you and me to do something, produce some fruit as people, as his people. In the the context of the story, he said, look, for three years, I've come looking for fruit on this thing. Haven't found any, cut it down, get rid of it. Why should we even race the soil? And the vineyard worker said, and this is number, what is that, five? The patience. He showed some patience. And I'll call it the patience toward the, toward the fig tree. It was not, this was not that the tree had a bad year. This was not that the tree had a bad season. This was that the fig tree habitually produced no fruit. And that when, he, when it produced no fruit, The owner, the master, the Lord, God himself said, I've had enough, cut it down, and throw it away. And I'll just say say to us that those words need to kind of resonate within us. Because with with our theology today, we call it a philosophy, but really it's people's theology today. 
is that God's patience goes on and on and on and on. God doesn't ever get mad or upset. And yet I did a search today. Did a search on my little Bible program. I put in the word patient, patience, any, any form, patience and God. In one translation, all through the Bible, I had 16 hits. That means God and patience reserved uh, appears in the same verse, 16 hits. In another translation, 32 hits. And do you know it never talked about not any of those scriptures that I read. None of those talked about God being patient to the end of time. Not one of them. In fact, one of them says, how long will you be patient, O Lord? In fact... I believe it's Psalm 103 that says the Lord will not strive with man forever. Now, I want you to think about yourself. Most of us, most in here are parents or have been, or been around kids. How long do those kids have to be in your presence and ignore you and not do what they told before they're on your nerves? Yeah, hello? Are we all super spiritual? You see, the patience toward the fig tree had run out. He said, it's not even worth the ground it's planted in. It's doing nothing to justify its existence in where the name fig tree, and it certainly is not going to stay in my garden. So have you gotten the five thus far? Have you gotten the five thus far? The possession of the tree, it's his. The presence of the tree, it's in his in his vineyard, just like we're in his world. The purpose of the tree is to produce fruit. You may be the only Jesus some people ever see. The problem for the tree is that it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And that God is ready to get rid of it. And then somebody steps forward and says, let's have just a little more patience. Let me take it under my wing. And that brings us to number six, what I call the plan for the tree. I'm going to admit this takes my uh, this takes my imagination to a new level. When I see this story, the master is ready to give up. He is ready to pull it up by the roots, get it out of his way. In fact, I don't ever want to see it again. That would probably be a good translation. And then the vineyard worker steps up and says, "Can I give it one more try? Can I give it one more try?" And I'm going to tell you, I was sitting there today thinking about this and how to really illustrate this. And I'm going to tell you going in, I know this did not happen in my theology, but this is how my mind works. You have God the Father, God the Son, and heaven. I'm reminded that there were only five or six chapters deep in Genesis before Scripture says that God regretted that he made man because man had become so wicked. I can imagine in my glorified imagination, God the Father, God the Son, however they communicate, however they converse, you can tell me this is not the way the Trinity operates. That's fine. You have a right to believe that. But the truth is we don't know how the Trinity operates. We don't understand it. It's beyond our imagination. God the Father, God the Son. God the Father looks over God the Son. He goes, you see those people again? Yeah, yes, Father, I do. You know what? I about had enough. I know. 
You know, I did it one time before. Yeah, I remember. But you promised not to ever do it again. No, I just promised not to do it that way ever again. Yeah. And you know what? They're so wicked now, and they're ignoring me so badly now. And they're not doing what they're supposed to do. I put them there to spread our word, and they're not spreading our word. I know, Lord. I give them everything they need. I, I, I know, Father. I know. I, it's time to, let's just take them out. And Jesus says, would you give me one more chance? Would you just give me one more chance? Tell you what I'll do. Remember, the, he said, I'll dig around them and fertilize them. And maybe next year he says, here's what I'll do. I'll leave here and I'll go down there and I'll be one of them. I'll fertilize them with fresh water. I will nurture them with fresh word. I will tell them what to do. I will show them what to do. And then, Father, you know what I'll do? I'll even die for them. Even though that's not a true story, if you can grasp the significance of what it means... You can see what the Father expects of us. God has a plan for each of us. He has a purpose for each of us. We are His fruit tree, occupying a space in His vineyard with the expectation of producing His fruit. And that brings me to number seven. The prospects for the tree. Um, I'm familiar with that word prospects being used like that. You don't know this about me. I don't think, some of you may, I don't think you know. I entered college, William Carey College, two weeks after I graduated from high school in 1972 as a music major. I look at our kids going off to college, and they are, they are not nearly as green as I was. Man, I, I was so green, if you'd have bitten me, it would drawn your mouth up. After that first summer, got into the fall, doing battle with the, the music faculty. The prospects of me graduation began to dim. Hello? Does everybody know how that word's used now? The prospects really begin to dim. Two years later, dropped out of school, went into church work for seven years, got a wife and a daughter, went back, and the prospects were a lot better for me to graduate. And I did. Here's what I'll say to us. The prospects for that tree not to be cut down and cast aside. Watch this. We're now up to the tree. The master was given everything that he had so that tree could blossom, bud, and bloom. And here's what I'll say to us. Our Lord Jesus has given us everything that we need. 
And whether you call it a choice, an opportunity, or responsibility, I don't care. But Jesus has done all he can do for us. I remember Sean Connery, I think it was in The Untouchables, saying, what are you prepared to do? And the question for us is, what are we prepared to do? Are we prepared to assume the responsibility since he's given us all that we need, the nourishment, the refreshment, the word, to become a blooming tree? Or are we going to be pulled up by the roots? Oh, we may not make it into hell, cast into the fire. But I will tell you this, the more I read about the judgment seat of Christ, the more I am convinced that we have the wrong attitude about what's going to happen there and that there's going to be some pay going on there for how we have dishonored his name. My encouragement for us tonight is learn from the fig tree. Let's blossom, bud, bloom, and produce fruit for the kingdom. May God add his blessing to the reading and study of his word.